Hebrews chapter 4, and we are reading, we're reading from verse 14. Hebrews chapter 4, verse 14, so, so that we remember what we're talking about. Remember, in the book of Hebrews, these are the Jews who have become believers, who are living around Jerusalem, but not in Jerusalem. The persecution is getting hot and heavy, but not to the point where any of them have yet been martyred. That will soon come. It's about 66 to 68 A.D., so, so two to four years before the destruction of Jerusalem is going to occur. They don't know that. All, all they know is that Jesus had prophesied the destruction. They don't know when it's coming. But the author certainly seems to have some sort of uh, understanding that it's going to be coming soon. And he is encouraging them not to slip back into Judaism because many of them are contemplating going back into, Jeru- into Judaism because of the persecution. And because the persecution is becoming so heavy, they think, well, maybe we can go back into Judaism. And then when the persecution lifts, then we can say that we're, 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 we're believers in the Messiah again, that we are formerly Christians and we're fine. So these are Jewish believers and he's telling them, no, this is not an option for you. Because what happens is, you are going to die if you go back into Judaism. They are not going to lose their salvation. The death he's talking about is a physical death. You're going to end up in Jerusalem, and you're going to get end up killed in the destruction that's going to happen to the city of Jerusalem, as Jesus had prophesied destruction to that city, which is going to hit, they didn't know the exact time, but we know because we're looking back on it, in 70 AD. So that's the context. So, so he is comparing now the old covenant with the new covenant. And so we've seen these different comparisons, the old priesthood with the new priesthood. He showed that Jesus is superior to anything they have, both in his deity and in his humanity. Hebrews chapter 4, verse 14, Therefore, since we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession, for we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weakness, but one who has been tempted in all things as we are, yet without sin. Therefore, let us draw near with confidence to the throne of grace, so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. So look what he says. He says, Therefore, since we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, the context as you read the original language, which I don't read, I just read commentaries on what, on what the Greek is saying. The pass through means that, not that he's gone into the heavens and come back, he's passed through the heavens and he resides in the heavens. We have, now have a priest who's passed through and resides in the heavens. We know from other parts of scriptures that there are three levels of heaven. So there are these three levels of heaven, at least those three levels. He has passed through the heavens. Jesus, the Son of God, so he uses the personal human name, Jesus, the Son of God. Let us hold fast our confession. So what do we have to do? What is our job in this? If salvation comes to us free of charge, something that Jesus has given to us, what is our responsibility in this? And what he says to them, hold fast to your confession. He had spoken of in chapter 3, verse 1, that we have this great confession In Jesus Christ. We are believers now. We are believers in the Messiah Jesus. Let us hold fast our confession. This is up to us. This is something we need to consciously work at. 
to hold fast our confession because what's going to happen is we are going to go into situations where people are going to say things about believers. Will we stand as believers? Will we stand as people of faith? Will we hold fast our confession? And what he says is, hold fast your confession. There are going to be times like, what's going on in my life? So much is, is, is messed up. So much is happening. And what he says is, hold fast your confession. Hold it fast. Don't back off this confession. And this is something that we have to consciously think about. It is not something that we should take in a flippant manner. And I say this because when I, early on when I was a believer, I often used to think, Lord, am I going to fall away? Am I going to just slip away like so many believers and, and this whole thing of what I've experienced of God just become passive in my life and not an active thing? This is a good feeling to have. Lord, keep me in the center of your will. Lord, keep me from going astray. Keep me from going astray. Saying that sort of thing, he says, hold fast to your confession. Then he says, let's skip on down to verse 16 and then we'll come back up to 15. Verse 16, let us draw near with confidence to the throne of grace so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. This verse has so much depth of meaning. Let us draw near with confidence to the throne of grace. Look at what it calls the throne of God. The throne of grace. Grace is an unmerited gift. Something that I don't deserve. This is what he calls his throne. It is a throne of grace. My throne, he says, is named the throne of grace. The throne of unmerited favor. He, he himself calls it that. The Bible calls it the draw near with confidence to the throne of grace. In fact, if you look at the King James Version, it says, let us draw near with boldness. And so it, it turns the whole thing on its head. If you think of so great a God, there should be just this enormous sense of like, wow, how could I ever approach His throne? I mean, how could I ever go in there? You know, I've, I've, I've read the, the, these historical books about people approaching the king and they would teach them how to walk in. You'd never turn your back to the king who's sitting on the throne. You would walk in and you'd bow down. You'd take another step and you'd bow down. You'd take another step and you'd bow down. And then after you've spoken to the king, you'd never look the king in the eye. You'd just look down. And then after you, you've spoken to the king, you don't just turn around and walk out or you'd be killed. You have to bow down and step back and just keep never facing your, your back to the king. He tells us to come in with confidence. And then he says, so that you may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Let me give you an analogy. So this is not a perfect analogy by any sense. It is an analogy. One day I was sitting in my office, and this was about 15 years ago. And, and there was a company, a representative of a company, and, and uh, this company was worth over $100 billion. This was about 15 years ago. Over $100 billion. And, and uh, um, the CEO of the company was a certain man, and his son was head of the venture wing of that company. So the venture wing, what it does is it, it, it makes investment in new businesses that they might want to invest in, and then that they're thinking of possibly not just investing in, but of subsuming at some point. So we were in my office doing the deal, and I was, he, was, he had a couple representatives with him, and it was just me, and we were talking about this business deal. 
And then all of a sudden, and, and the secretary was out there and she knew, don't let anybody in. This is a, an important meeting. And all of a sudden the door comes busting open. And then a book bag gets thrown in. And then two giggling little boys come in, running in and start writing on the whiteboard. It was my sons. They were little kids. And, and, uh, and I just looked at this guy and I was like, what are you going to do? These are my boys. You know, boys can come in. Your children can come into the office like that. I mean, people understand. It's not just anybody coming in. It's my sons that are coming in. And I get up, I say, just, just go out for now. We're just having a conversation. And, and uh, you know, there's book bags sitting on the ground, and then they go out and they shut the door. But these are my sons. This is what happens when your son comes in the room. This is exactly the picture that he gives us. This is a throne of grace. Come in boldly. Come in boldly. And then he says that you, you come in and you receive mercy. God is there to give mercy. And so just recently... One of those sons came back to my office. He, he, he was asking my wife for something, and I kept telling my wife, no, I, I don't want to do that. I don't. So he himself came, and he, he, he shut the door, and you know, he had his book bag with him, but you know, this is 15 years later. He still has his book bag with him, but he doesn't come throwing in. He puts it down, and he shuts the door behind him, and, uh, and he starts talking to me, and he asks me for this very thing that I knew he was going to ask me, but I didn't want to do it. And I said, do you know how many students have asked me for this sort of thing over the years and I've always declined? He said, but I'm your son. <laughs> and I said, okay, okay, you're my son. This is what happens to a father and their child. They get anything they want. This is what happens. And, and if you're persistent, you get anything you want because you're like, okay, no, leave me alone. All right, just take it. Take my wallet, take everything I've got. I've already taken my ties. You've taken everything I've got. It's, you know, it's yours. This is the picture that he gives us. You receive mercy and you find grace to help. What more would we want out of God? What greater a picture of God could we have than this, that he calls it himself a throne of grace, a throne of unmerited favor. You don't deserve it, but you got it. A throne of mercy, where we've done things, we've blown it, and it's a throne of mercy. I remember once reading Pascal's Penesis, which is, is just his thoughts on life. Pascal is a man who lived to, to the age of 39. He was a mathematician, he was a scientist, he was, he was an apologist, a theologian. The man was amazing. And I remember reading, and, and he was obviously a Catholic, and he said, he said, could there be anything sweeter, think of this, that you could have somebody to confide in? You could have somebody to confide in and tell them your deepest sorrows, your deepest pains, your hidden sins. You could tell them this, and they are sworn to secrecy. And they are obliged to pray for you. He says, this is what confession is. And this whole idea of confession has caused such problems across, he didn't put it this way, the body of Christ. 
And as I saw that, I began to understand. Now, I'm not a Catholic. I don't go to confession. So for all of you Baptists, just settle down. But I saw the picture of what it can be. You know, I have to be very careful who I tell my secrets to. Because they can leak out quite persistently. But when you have somebody who is sworn to secrecy and obliged to pray for you, this is the picture of Jesus. This is exactly the picture He gives us. Could there be anything sweeter than this? And this is the picture that He gives us. This is a throne of grace where we find grace and mercy. He says, come in boldly. Come in boldly. Come before God and spend time before me, he says. Come on in. You are my son. You are my child. You just come in. You can throw your bags in it and just come in. You come in differently than others come in. He says, because you're my child. So you approach differently. This you can do. You approach differently. Let's look up in verse, in verse, uh, in verse 15. For we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weakness, but one who has been tempted in all things as we are, and yet without sin. I want to turn to Isaiah, Isaiah chapter 53. And in Isaiah chapter 53, we're going to start reading from verse 1. This is a picture of the Messiah, a picture of the Messiah. There's many things revealed to us about Jesus in the New Testament. There are some things that are not revealed to us in the New Testament about the Messiah, but they're actually revealed in the Old Testament. Some things are revealed in the Old Testament. In fact, what I want to do is I actually want to turn back to Isaiah 52, the end of Isaiah 52. This actually starts in, in uh, verse 13 of Isaiah 52. And look at this picture of the Messiah. We capture a picture that we don't fully capture in the New Testament. And I want to read this in the context of what we just read in Hebrews 4.15, that we don't have a high priest who cannot identify with our weaknesses. We have a high priest who has been through things. And let's read it in that context. Verse 13 of Isaiah 52, Behold, my servant will prosper. He will be high and lifted up and greatly exalted. Just as my many were astonished at you, my people. So his appearance was marred more than any man, and his form more than the sons of men. Look at the picture of Jesus. He says, my Messiah, my son, when he comes, this is what he's going to be like. His appearance will be marred more than any man, and his form more than the sons of men. When I watched the, 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 uh, uh, what was it? The, the Temptations of Christ or the, the, the Sufferings of Christ, that movie that, that uh, Gibson had put on, Passion of the Christ. When I, when I watched The Passion of the Christ, it was, I w it was a letdown to see that scourging and crucifixion. It was a letdown because I didn't think it vividly captured it enough. That scourging, it says here, he was marred more than any man. His appearance was, he didn't even have the form and the form more than the sons of men. His face must have been so shredded, he didn't even have the form of a man anymore. So shredded, because they say that these whips with the hooks in it would go over the face and rip, rip the, the, the face. And, and uh, it was this man who came out after the scourging. And Pilate looks at him and he says, Behold the man. That was the guy. That was him. 
His face is just shredded. This is what he has been through. Remember, capture the picture of what the writer of Hebrews is saying. There is, we have a faithful high priest who has been through the things that we will go through. And thus he will sprinkle many nations. Kings will shut their mouths on account of him. For what had not been told them they will see, and what they had not heard they will understand. He will sprinkle many nations because of the blood that he shed. Kings will shut their mouths on account of him. I have seen this sort of thing. I've been with CEOs of big companies. In fact, I ended up sharing the gospel with this son of the CEO of this $100 billion company. He went back to his father and he told his father what I said. Because I told him, I asked him, what do you think the most important thing in life is? He said, I don't know. I said, it's the physical resurrection of Jesus Christ. He went back and told that to his father. His father called me that afternoon and he said, my son told me what you said to him. I said, and what do you think? He said, I believe you're right. You're right. That is the most important thing. I've sat with other CEOs who you would know their names and I've talked about Jesus Christ and all of a sudden their whole demeanors change. They go from being the big person in the driver's seat to sitting back and listening. Because of what the name of Jesus does. And it says, kings will shut their mouths on account of him. This is the faithful high priest that we have. Now let's turn to Isaiah 53. Who has believed our message and who has, and to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? For he grew up before him like a tender shoot and like a root out of parched ground. He had no stately former majesty that we should look upon him. So the, the very beginnings of Jesus, he, he grew up before him like a tender shoot and like a root out of parched ground. He came from very humble beginnings. We knew he, he was born in a, in a stable. He was laid in a manger in a feeding trough. His parents couldn't afford anything but two turtle doves for his sacrifice. Normally, if you had a, had a, had a, uh, a son, there was a much larger offering. Unless you were very poor, then you would offer up a dove. And that's what they went up to the temple eventually to offer up. His parents were poor. He came from humble beginnings. If you think you've been from humble beginnings and you don't match up with all the people around you, this is the world of Jesus. He's been there. It says he has no stately form of majesty that we should look upon him, nor appearance that we should be attracted to him. There was nothing in Jesus physically that attracted people to him. I have heard Messianic scholars say, Jesus may well have been five foot four with crooked teeth. There was nothing in him physically that attracted us to him. And that's why if we ever have this low self-esteem that I'm not what I look like, I'm not as tall as I would like to be, I'm not as good looking as I would like to be, my, the, my hair is not the texture it should be, my skin color is not the shade it, uh, that I would like it to be. Welcome to the world of Jesus. He has been there. There was nothing in him that drew people to him. And we have this amazing image of some tall European man with a beard that is really super attractive and fair-skinned. That is not the picture of Scripture. The Scripture discusses people's looks when they are on the extreme. It says that Absalom was a very handsome man with thick hair. It says that Saul was head and shoulders taller than all other men. 
a deeply handsome man. It says of David that he was red, ruddy, and of handsome appearance. So David was fair-skinned, of handsome appearance. It says of, 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 uh, of Abigail that she was a beautiful woman. It speaks of Eglon, that he was a very heavy man, so that when the, when the, when the dagger went into his belly, the fat closed over the dagger. It talks about people when they lived in the extremes. It doesn't just say normal looking guy. You know, the man was a normal looking guy. It doesn't say that. Of Jesus, it says, he had no stately form or majesty that we should look upon him, nor appearance that we should be attracted to him. What was the extreme that it talked about him? It was the extreme that there was nothing in him that was of appearance. So if ever you feel that, why have I made this way? Why do I look this way? Just remember, whatever you have been through, we have a faithful high priest who has been through this. We have a faithful high priest who has been through this. It says in verse 3, He was despised and forsaken of men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. I am sure there are people who don't like me, but I don't know that I'm despised by anyone. This man was despised. Jesus was despised. So again, if people don't like you, welcome to the world of Jesus. He has been there. He knows our pain. A man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. Jesus knew grief. It says he was a man of sorrows. That is his name. A man of sorrows. Do you have depression? Do you have grief? Welcome to the world of the prophets. I mean, look at Elijah. Elijah had great depression. He ran off to a cave and he says, Lord, just take my life right now. I mean, you think of ending one's, li one's own life. I mean, Elijah was there. He said, take my life. Jonah, not, not, uh, uh, Jonah said the same thing. Lord, just take my life. He says, I can't believe you saved all these people and everything. Just, just you know, because this plant was over me and now it died and just, just, just take my life. Have you ever had thoughts of taking your own life? Welcome to the world of the prophets. They had the same thoughts. You're not alone in this. Jesus never promises us to deliver us from suffering. But what He does is He delivers us from the despair of suffering. That He does. He delivers us from the despair of suffering. We have a faithful high priest who is faithful. A man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. If you have sorrows, Jesus knows your pain. You don't have to take your own life. He is there. He knows your pain. A man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And like one from whom men hide their face, he was despised and we did not esteem him. I remember in, in, in college, I was w with a bunch of other guys and we were talking to this very attractive young lady and and each guy was saying certain things, and I said something, and she, she did this. So watch my face. She did this. I said, it was something right, really quite innocuous. She went, I mean, just turned away and sort of disgust. That hit me so hard, so that 40 years later, it still stings me. I don't know, maybe you've never been there. Maybe this has never happened to you. But to those of you that it's happened to, you know exactly what I'm talking about. There are stings that we've had in life 
that we will never forget. It says, Jesus was like one from whom men hide their face. That means men would go. Jesus would say things and people would just hide their face. Hide their face. Like one from whom men hide their face, he was despised and we did not esteem him. So again, in the same verse, it says twice, he was despised. Have you ever been disliked? Have people looked at you with disdain and boom, it just shattered your heart? Where something that occurred when you were seven years old or nine years old and to this day you have not forgotten? Welcome to the world of the Messiah. Welcome to the faithful high priest who knows our pain, who knows our suffering, who knows what's come at us. Welcome to, to, to his world. Surely our griefs he himself bore and our sorrows he carried. This is what he does. He carries our sorrows. Lord, I have been so hurt. I give this to you. I give this to you, Lord. Lord, I don't know why I look this way. I don't know why I, I, things are like they are. Lord, I give this to you. Carry this for me. You got it. You got it. I am a faithful high priest. And you think it's done forever? It is not. You will be back at the throne of grace, if not the next day, the day after. Asking Him to carry it again for that day. And He gives us manna for the day. He gives us grace for the day. Each day, Jesus said, don't worry about tomorrow. Tomorrow will care for itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. You can bring this before the Lord every day. Others may forsake you. He was despised and forsaken. Have you been forsaken? Have you been forsaken by, by someone you loved? Have you been forsaken by a parent? Jesus knows that pain. He was despised and forsaken of men. This is the faithful high priest that we have. This is who comes to us and says, come to my throne of grace and mercy, unmerited favor and mercy, just poured out. Enter boldly. Hold fast to your confession. What we have in our Lord is worth more than anything that you could have otherwise. This is the Lord that we have. Let's pray. Oh, Father, I thank you so much for your word for the truth of Your Word, for what Jesus has done for us on the cross. Lord, I thank You and I praise You because the Word of God fills us and surrounds us. Lord, I pray that You would take these young people, those that are suffering from low self-esteem, those that wish that they looked different or lived differently. Father, I pray that You would so comfort them through our faithful high priest, the Lord Jesus Christ, who understands their pain, who knows their struggles, and will carry that burden and that grief for them. Father, I pray that they would learn to come before you and give this over to you each day, and each day that it reoccurs, to give it over to you again. Father, I pray that they would take advantage of this throne of grace where they can find mercy and grace to help in their time of need. Father, if there be those here who have contemplated taking their own lives, Father, I pray that you teach them to come before you and to turn it right back over to you and that you will carry these burdens for them. 
that each day they could just turn it right back over to you. Father, I thank you that we have a faithful high priest in Jesus. Cause these young people to so embrace that faithful high priest. In the name of Jesus, I pray. And Father, for those here who do not know you, I pray, Lord, that you draw them to Jesus, that you would work in their lives to draw them to Jesus. For the glory of Jesus, I pray. And in his name, amen.